opening doors for others has led him onto one of the most dynamic learning journeys anyone can have their entire life. He's learned about business, he's learned about Kickstarter, startups, e-commerce, manufacturing, and heaps of stuff about himself. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show. I'm your host, Lewis Shulman, joined by my friend Kyle Bishop. We are two young entrepreneurs trying to learn how to take full advantage of the modern world. There's a lot of amazing stuff out there, the tools of the internet, the tools of entrepreneurship, allocating capital, getting your money to work for you, putting out content so people can listen to you and be influenced by your ideas even when you're asleep. All of this fascinates us, and we want to learn how to best maximize it and share everything we learn in that process with you, our listeners. And today's guests help us do just that. Today, we interview Joe and Scott. Joe and Scott are the Lewis and Kyle of Down Under. Joe is a, a thinker. He's a writer. He um, runs a cohort-based course called the, the Constant Student, which you and I have been pioneering in the last couple of months. Scott runs a company called Espresso Displays, which is portable, beautiful displays that you can carry in your backpack and attach wherever you're at, coffee shop, whatever it may be. It's really cool. And in today's interview, we talk about we talk about those businesses. We allow them to introduce each other, which is kind of an interesting little switch. Um, we talk about their experience starting a nonprofit while they were in college that was based around helping after the, the fallout from a Nepal earthquake. Uh, we talk about their incongruent college experience because Scott really loved college and got a lot out of it. Joe really did not like college and doesn't feel like he got much out of it. We talked about, of course, those businesses that I mentioned before. And then we talk about the concept of a thousand doors. Uh, it's a, something that Joe's written extensively about, something he cares about, and it's very interesting. He seeks to be a doorman. Uh, overall, a fantastic interview, and we'll cut to it now. Joe and Scott, the Lewis and Kyle from Dow Under, we are excited to have you on the podcast today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, more than welcome. Great to be here. Yeah, awesome to jump on. Absolutely. So the first thing that we're going to do is a little bit out of the box. Uh, we're going to have Scott intro Joe and Joe intro Scott. And along with that intro, uh, we want you to both say each other's superpower. Oh, I'll go first. So, oh. Not not so easy. I think that's. Um, I think Joey even wrote a blog post on um, if you have an easy answer to what do you do, then <laughs> yeah, you probably should be working on something more interesting. And so I'd say that Joey is a master storyteller, and he's a master of really turning uh, abstract kind of things that we experience through life into kind of pretty tangible frameworks that are much easier for people to understand. Now. I think that has application, you know, obviously across so many different areas of life. And that's, you know, a lot of, I'm sure both of you have kind of seen that through his blog, through his podcast, and even, even the work that he's been doing over the last you know, few months. So Joey and I went to, went to school together and, uh, but our kind of like relationship really changed. He started university doing psychology and Whilst that, I guess, is very um, pertinent in the way that he kind of, in the things that he does now, it was not really the right course for him and he didn't really want to continue with it. Um, so him and I became a lot closer, um, particularly professionally, when one of our friends started going over to Nepal after the 2015 earthquake. And that was when Joe, looking for you know something really interesting to bite out of him, was like, okay, great, this, this sounds really awesome. And 
got more involved. Um, and that, for him, opened up like kind of a new world of projects and things that you can work on. And this is kind of the start of his kind of like, you know, non-linear journey of kind of following things that were very interesting to him. And then, you know, and I was following like on the, on the, on the wayside. Um, I had some other things going on. I think I was about to go over on, on exchange to California as well. So it wasn't looking to pick up any new projects. But as soon as I came back, spoke to Joe and then, that's when kind of Joe and I worked on worked on that together. So from that, him and I have kind of gone on various different journeys. And I guess how would I describe Joe, which was actually your question rather than telling the story? Yeah, he's basically he's a he's a he's a thinker, he's a doer, he's a problem solver, and how he wants to kind of apply that within his life is kind of through the projects that we're working on. But I think his his notion is probably one of the most complex things I've ever seen. We've had um, it on the agenda to uh, to address the notion, so right. that's good that you brought that <laughs> yeah, up early. Yeah, well, yeah. I, I, well I, I introduced him to Notion and then it, it took about two weeks and then I was overwhelmed by what he'd done with it um, <laughs> based on kind of what he was already doing. So uh, I think that's full kind beard of the way... Two weeks later. Yeah, so like whenever you show a tool that helps kind of Joe capture kind of like how he thinks and kind of connects the dots between it, like even like say Rome, you know, he, he just jumps on that straight away. So I think that's probably the best kind of like singular way of how I'll describe Joe. Now, through what he does, it's obviously, you know, around, you know, I guess untapping human potential and making people kind of live, you know, their most enjoyable, enjoyable lives that have a lot of meaning for, you know, whatever that person defines for themselves. So mm -hmm. I think that will come out through a lot of our projects, but... Yeah, and that's superpower. Long-winded answer. I think it was storytelling, uh, right? Storytelling. Story okay, got it. Love that. Story that was beautiful. No, no. Well, thanks, thanks, Scotty. Yeah, the, the whenever I find something hard to write, it means there's uh, there's a lot of truth behind it. And the hardest thing I've ever tried to write, and I've never successfully written it, is the about page on my website. And um, but it's it's good. It's good. So my turn. And Scott McEwen, yes, we've been friends since um, yeah, high, starting high school, 2007. And I think Scott's superpower, I'm torn, I'm, I'm tossing up between two, which is understanding a very long-term game very, very well in any particular context. So he will figure out the pieces in play very quickly, faster than in, anyone I've personally met, and figure out how to... I guess, get to where things need to go, which kind of blends into the other one I'm tossing up, which is just like, I always love talking about doors. And Scott is just like one of the best people. I think his superpower is also just getting through whatever door happens to be in front of him, whether he has to headbutt it, whether he has to uh, smash it with a sledgehammer. Uh, he seems to be able to get anything across the line. And I have this belief that the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. And one of the things we have done together the last couple of years is play soccer. And the way Scott plays soccer even reflects the way he plays life in that as a big towering kind of defender. And he's known for being very aggressive, never pulling out the challenge, always going in ready to kind of, you know, obliterate the opponent with no sense of self-preservation. And that very much reflects how he does things professionally and, and personally. And I guess to fully intro him in his context, you know, Scott's done a bunch of, a bunch of cool professional stuff, um, especially since the, the, you know, the Genesis point was really that project in Nepal. And, you know, I think one thing that sums up Scott was, you know, he was at university at the time. He uh, managed to organize, or managed to not even organize, but kind of attract a subject where he was actually paid to run this subject. Our, our From the Ground Up, which is our nonprofit, was the client through him. And then he also got his 
his employer, his engineering company, who was employing him, right, whatever, working part-time at the time, to sponsor a prize for that subject with uni students working on stuff around non-profit. So he brought these three disparate things together. So, you know, he's, he's the master at kind of bringing and connecting things together. In America, we call that the art of the deal. <laughs> that is the art of the deal. That is the art of the deal. And then for, he co-founded Espresso Displays, which sells the world's thinnest monitors and is shaping the future of work. And we've also, but we've never lost the, um, the interest, the fascination in education. So we're working on a book together at the moment and the constituent community, stuff like that. But yeah, projects are always, uh, projects are always just the little footnotes almost. They're not the real person, but that's, um, he's a, yeah, yeah, incredible person, made a huge impact on my life. And that's, uh, that's a bit of our Scott. Real quick, and that was beautiful as well, by the way. It's a, it's a beautiful friendship you all have. And uh, I think those were great intros. Kyle and I could take some notes when we intro each other on, <laughs> on various things. But one thing you said, Joe, about your website and the difficulty you have writing your own about page that I think you do a good job as is you call yourself the doorman. That's kind of this alter ego you've assumed. Uh, what do you mean when you call yourself, I'm Joe, the doorman? So we can come back to the whole professional thing, what I said about those projects and the things we do that people see and want to identify and tag us by are really just footnotes. And footnotes might not be the best phrase, but I've always searched for what the underlying thing is that drives it. And for me, because part of my philosophy revolves around this concept of like whatever, the thousand doors that we talk about, which is like, you know, which is all about non-linearity really, and uncertainty, and how anything creative and anything you're really going to discover, which is where the real rewards come, is when you're discovering things. You can't always see them, so you've got to kind of open the right doors. And I guess just part of that philosophy is that the best way to open those doors for you is actually concentrate on opening doors for others. Mm. I've just I've really started to believe that in my life. Um, and I, I call myself the doorman because I like the image of something humble that cannot ever be inflated, not like CEO or, um, you know, uh, author or anything like that that can have prestige associated with it. But the image of a doorman who is someone who, if a doorman is standing there at a, at a shop or a building, they, they don't need to be there. You're capable of opening the door on your own in theory, but they welcome you and they, uh, you know, they make it appealing for you to walk through. And they're there, they're just a humble, humble person standing there ready to open the door for you to somewhere you might like to go and then be forgotten straight after. And so I always love that image because I think it's a good system for me to keep in mind because I think one of the biggest weaknesses is narcissism and ego as well. And it's very counterintuitive in my opinion. So I've always adopted that. Well, not always, but I've, I've realized that that is the theme for me. That is the thing behind it. I hope that answers the question. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's super powerful. And I, something that I was going to say about both of your intros of each other is that you sort of said, uh, you talked about the other person without saying what the other person does until like the very end. It's like, well, constant student and espresso is just like you're saying a footnote. And so it goes to show that you believe that. And, you know, it's something that people often have a really hard time with is explaining who they are without saying what they do. And I think that, you know, 
the two of you explain that well for each other. I would be interested to hear how you intro yourself, whether espresso comes first or last. But the concept of Doorman, I think, is is really beautiful and something that I want to dive deeper into. But I'm interested because I have no idea what happened in Nepal in 2014. So could you guys tell us a little bit about what happened there and um, how you came together on a project trying to serve people there? Well, it, I think I think the beginning part was probably best starting with Joe, where um, if you want to talk about... So in the 25th of April, 2015, there was a massive uh, earthquake in Nepal. And obviously, because there's the Himalayas and there, there is a lot of kind of, um, you know, seismic activity in that region anyway, um, which is how, you know, any mountain range kind of forms. Um, but this one was, you know, one of the biggest on records. And... Because of that, like the also like you know the the building quality is not what you know say what we would have you know in Australia or over in the United States. Um, so the devastation was a lot 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 more significant. And we had a friend I didn't know him at the time, and Joe Joe knew him in a various degree as well. But he was a, a person around about our age who was a was a carpenter and a builder, and and he wanted to kind of go over there to be part of you know helping out those people and helping that community and country in in the rebuild, uh, given that's what his skill set. Was and, and he could make a very tangible difference. Yeah, he, um, he was working at a bar. His, his name's Nick Abraham, and he was working at a bar in the north of Australia. And there were these Nepalese guys that worked in the kitchen there, with, and, and when the earthquake happened, they were very sad and they were crying, and he was like, oh, what happened? And they explained, and they said, you're a carpenter, you know? You could go over and help. And he's like, oh, yeah, 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 I could, I could. And then, and then he goes, he came to the bar the next morning and they had posters up saying, take Nick to Nepal. So he's like, oh, guess I'm doing this Nepal thing. <laughs> raised, raised like about 10 or 12,000 Aussie, Aussie dollars. And then he's, he goes over and he has a story that's incredible in its own right. And I don't, we wouldn't have time to kind of go through it from showing up the first day and... Right. The, the, the group he went to join didn't exist by the time he got there. They'd shut down. First day, like at the airport, first thing he gets told, they drop him in some random village that's not on Google Maps at the time, like uh, with no other English speakers, and he's just like left there. He's like, yeah, this is where we might do something. Starts his, instead of coming home, starts his own non-profit. And I'd only met him a handful of times. I uh, definitely had a big gaping hole in myself in my life. And I wanted to kind of fill that. So I just saw what he was doing on Facebook. And I, I think I shared it. That's it. I didn't even donate. <laughs> I didn't even donate. I just shared his fundraiser. And he was so excited by that. He, he DM'd me. He's like, oh, man, thanks for sharing it. Like, let's catch up before I go. And then, you know, we caught up. And I just, it was in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, you know, this guy's leading the way on this. I could just kind of go over there and volunteer. But I went over, I was terrible, I got food poisoning, three days, came home. Anyway, I offered to help out with fundraising and then I started doing some of that. And then Scott, you know, all these doors, again, the doors, right? The, Scott came home at the right time in 2016. He was meant to go on this gap, so this little trip that fell through, so he had all this time. He asked me if he could be a fly on the wall. And then, yeah, we spent a couple of years doing a bunch of stuff. Scott and I always lived in Australia, but we'd go visit. Nick, our friend, lived over there for a better, better part of three and a half years. Went through an absolute ordeal, and it was a massive eye-opener on how big the world was. It was a massive eye-opener on 
well, well, charity and international development, which is just like a rabbit hole. I just had no idea how much of a rabbit hole that was. And I think, I don't know about you, Scott, but it just, it was something, I mean, you know, I'm big on reading all the biographies, and it's amazing how many of people we look up to for their contributions have had an Eastern experience. Um, like Jobs, you know, Phil Knight. Like, it's a, it's a very long list. And I can kind of see why, because it tears apart the way you think about things. It just changes. It's, it's, a, it's a real opportunity for... It's a real opportunity for you to grow up thinking certain things and valuing certain things and then to have them completely challenged all in one hit. And therefore you go, wow, if I was wrong about this, what else am I wrong about? That's what, give, what you guys talk about and embody so well as well, is that whole healthy, you know, wisdom is knowing how much you don't know, not, not knowing how much you know. And that's, that's just the, that's, that was the ultimate door. I don't know if you want to add anything else to that, Scotty. It's hard to summarize. <laughs> uh, so there was, yeah, so from from that, that was the, the work that was, I guess, going over on in Nepal. And I guess us, it was a great, really great experience. So I think still to this day, Joe and I haven't done any or much hiking in Nepal. Everyone asks us about that because we've gone a number of times. But, but the, the great part about that was that when we went to Nepal, we kind of, were tapped into this community that Nick obviously would, and, and everyone there would give us just great hospitality and we would be a part of the community. And this is, you know, a couple of hours outside of Kathmandu, the capital. And like, just, I guess that, that immersion within just, um, yeah, a very different way of living with people who think about very different things, very different challenges. And it's so detached and far away from your life back home, um, that it really just, you know, gives you that time and space just for like a bit of a, bit of a reset. Um, every time. So, and, and I always felt that whenever I was there and this is like very personally, besides, besides, you know, being a part of the work that was there, it was very, very great for me to go do that. So I very much, um, take that point, take that point, Joe, around, um, just a very big change from the day to day of your life and the, and how you let the little, the little challenges that, uh, come into your life kind of stack up over time or you start to overthink about it and then kind of blow it up to more than what it is. And, um, just the change there kind of puts everything back into, to that perspective. But the other side of it was with, with this, um, nonprofit when we were 20, 21 was where we tried a whole bunch of things and most of them didn't work. That was really like our first playground, our first little, uh, I guess, project of trial and error. And I think the the best part about it was that we had we had Nick in in Nepal kind of telling us every time kind of what he thought would actually help the people there in the community it wasn't like we were the ones deciding what what they needed it was always filtered through Nick who was who was living there so he knew better than anyone so with that kind of like degree of comfort then you know, it could kind of be like uh, Joe and myself and a number of other you know friends and colleagues who were working with us um, throughout that time um, kind of running around trying trying a whole bunch of things and looking back on it now we we, we kind of um, joke and laugh about some of the things that we thought were important um, and it's kind of funny around that you know that first project that first self-directed project um, where you're not really too sure what to do um, going to meetings with people that just like never eventuated to like anything um, and you know it's it's a couple of, you know, if you're young, excited and you know, kind of have a nonprofit project over building schools in Nepal, like, you know, people are quite excited to sit down with you and talk about things and you might have a goal in mind, but you don't know how to communicate that to them. And, 
you know, uh, and, and it, we have countless stories like back on that too, but I guess, um, that's, that's kind of where, um, we got a rid of, um, not rid, we, we did our like, you know, first timer learnings, um, in a lot of ways. And that's kind of changed, I guess, the subsequent projects, um, you know, that's, that, um, gave me a lot of confidence to kind of start Espresso really at that early stage, um, with, with my co-founder Will, um, you know, that, you know, gave, Joe and I the confidence to kind of like put this book project together and, and even it just gave us the the personal such professional overlap to discuss a lot of these ideas based on that shared experience together um, and and countless other things involved in universities and the subject and whatever else so I think like yeah it was it was a the outward work was um was really great and I was uh, very lucky to be part of it um and I think Joe thinks the same but then also the inward thing as far as um, the projects that you work on, it was a very um, kind of nice um, place where we could kind of try out a bunch of things, um, you know, based on, you know, what we were kind of told was, was the directive and what, what was the goal. And, but also we weren't very good because we were 2021 20, had no relevant experience and just kind of wanted to, um, you know, make things happen and support Nick. Incredible. I mean, <laughs> great <laughs> question. I'm glad that I asked it. <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it's a massive i i spent 18 months writing a book i mean the long story short in the end because the end is also important we actually this is to this day it's the thing i'm proudest of doing my whole life is in the end we decided to stop in 2018 i was on a europe trip with nick it was his first holiday since he'd started all this stuff he was so burnt out we were having a couple of ciders one night. We were in Dubrovnik in some old Airbnb. And we were just talking about things. And this is where you come back to the importance of stopping and thinking time. And we're just talking about things and the way things work. And, you know, the international development world is not what people expect. Everyone's worried about, oh, what are the overheads and how much of it actually gets through to people and stuff like that. There's all these counterintuitive kind of little hangups we have. Like if it was a business, you know, a business is always about the ROI, like you want to, you're almost doing the opposite. Just like what's the, 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 the big players are like, you know, will make us the biggest sacrifice on margin, right? But we actually decide in the end to, to shut it down when we're talking on that trip and then called Scott to kind of confirm the decision because we realized it wasn't the most meaningful way of, of, of doing things and creating change. Nick, our friend, eventually set up a business for, for almost for his own survival in Nepal. Also to help his friend Dampu, who said, you know, what do you, he goes, what do you really want, Dampu? You know, we're struggling here. And he goes, I just want to be able to send my three daughters to university. I don't care if I have to sell my land. That's all I want. So he's like, oh, we're learning construction skills because he had no other workers to help him. So he had to use the locals and train them but then that training, you know, talk about the doors again, that training turned out to be him giving them skills, which made them employable. Therefore, that was the most important, highest leverage, highest impact thing you could actually be doing. Discovered once again, discovered completely by accident. And so he started doing that company work. And then we were always, you know, meant to be running a nonprofit. And I said, the nonprofit side of what we're doing is, is nominal. Like, it, we might as well, you know, it's the whole 80-20. But uh, in, in applying that 80-20, I kind of removed this job I loved doing. 
mm. you know, like I, I was, it was the thing that gave me purpose, but I realized that it was redundant. And so they actually ended it and I've spent a long time writing about all the lessons and stuff from Nepal, but I kind of put, put that project on hold. Um, but it was uh, stimulating just so many, so many ways. And it's a whole, it's, uh, it's, it's hard to summarize. Yeah. It's a big rubber hole. <laughs> Well, I think that was a great summary for what we can accomplish in a podcast where we have a uh, thorough agenda of lots of interesting topics and businesses and projects and footnotes and not footnotes uh, that you all have accomplished and worked on and been involved with. And I'm trying to figure out where to, to take it next. So well, you're both I've, involved I mean, in just, education whoa, whoa, whoa. unless let's... Kyle has something very specific to say. Yeah. <laughs> unless he has something even general to say. <laughs> Well, it's specific. I mean, I can't really let Joe get away with, um, you know, so this guy's in Nepal. He's, he, he goes to Nepal and you go for a meeting with him. You're in a dark place. You share this Facebook post. What, what, what kind of dark place are we talking about? How, I mean, uh, what a great question. Yeah. Um, so I, in our book, the one we keep referring to, to demystify you can name it by the yeah, way so, so we can we can show it on this yeah, podcast Byron, Byron, uh, Byron came up with the name um, so for context it's the uh, you know we did it with six other people Scott and I and we all wrote a mini biography about our life after leaving high school and in my little chapter uh, I wrote I called it three dead years um, which were the first three years after leaving high school and they were the years I spent at university not exclusively because of university, but um, because I just was, I called it six out of 10 life. It's just like going through the motions. It's not bad enough to change. You know, when you have enough pain, you change what you're doing. But it was not good enough that, you know, I was really getting a lot out of life. And I had objectively everything, objectively everything, like good degree, good friends, health, etc income but it just I still felt like I was wasting my life which was very dramatic for a 19 20 21 year old but um yeah I well I'm 21 so you know yeah well the feeling what's interesting is it was the feeling I wasn't doing enough mm -hmm. with myself but it's interesting it's not probably it's not by doing more necessarily that you always resolve that sometimes it's about your relationship with yourself well joe i guess the context of what was the context of your choice of degree and what what path did you think you were going to be on i yeah my dream had been to be a filmmaker um so when scott says you know uh, joe's superpowers as a storyteller i guess that's probably never stopped being my core um i did leave school wanting to be a, a filmmaker and I think uh, I was also was academically very strong. So everyone's like, don't waste your good marks, do a degree and have a backup and things like that. And then I, I had a bit of fear put in me. So I started doing the degree, even though I wasn't really interested in studying. It was just to do a degree for the sake of it. And yeah, in hindsight, probably wasn't the best decision, but it's taught me a lot, given me a lot of fuel for, for
for what I do now. And it was certainly, certainly catalyzed me looking for something else. And that's when I discovered something else, I guess. So, so one of the questions I actually had prepared before the podcast, instead of just, you know, based on what y'all are saying, which is a good half and half approach, obviously, but what you've obviously spent a great deal of time reflecting on that period of your life. What would you have, this is like personal to you, but also in general, obviously, what advice would you have given yourself to have not made those years dead years? Like, could it have been a mindset shift or would you have had to make different choices or that a little bit of both? Our, that was the whole prompt for our book. That was the okay. whole for 18 and lost. So I've done this. Let's hear the pitch. And I have a, in the end of my chapter, oh, I'm happy to just completely spoil it. In the end of my chapter, I there's still seven others movie. worth reading. So exactly. And mine's probably like the least interesting. Um, at the end of my chapter, I have an imaginary conversation between the 25 year old version of me who knows what happened and the 18 year old version of me that, um, you know, kind of, kind of started on that journey. And in that conversation, I let that 18 year old version know that we don't do the things we don't follow the dream, so to speak. And then he kicks back and he gets upset. He's like, well, you're here to tell me how to fix it, right? You're here to tell me how to fix it. And 25 year old me goes, no, I can't tell you how to fix it. I go, because if you don't go through all that stuff, you're not going to do the work you're doing now. And the work you're doing now is really important, Joe. Like you're helping other people avoid this. It's the whole purpose of what you're doing. So I can't, you know, I can't, I can't tell you. And then, you know, he goes, 18 year old Joe goes, you know, looks at the movie post in his room. He goes, damn, really? He goes, are we helping people? Are we really helping people? And he goes, yeah, you, you're really helping people. And he goes, all right, then. So that's dramatic. where I came to when I think about it. But if I could shift that and give a practical, even the more practical version of that answer, what I, what I, I guess if I was in that situation now, I would just be exploring, I'd be exploring the interest. I'd just actually be exploring and following the interest, you know, in another context, right? In another dimension where that is not the important reality to follow through on the mistake. Do you mean like um, intuition more so as part of that yeah, as well? I mean, I mean, it's, it's, it's mainly the lesson I've learned is how your mistakes normally come when you're listening more to, on the outside than you're listening more on the inside. Your correct decisions come more when you're listening more on the inside than when you're listening more on the outside. That's definitely intuitive. Um, I think it's just super important. Like all the things telling me to do psychology came from the outside mainly. Like not specifically psychology. I was looking at what the, what the book had in terms of degrees and that was the, the most tolerable. Just the most tolerable. So, you know, I, I understand how I could kind of even, you know, I would have done, uh, to be honest, I thought about this. I think I get told someone else in, uh, who had a filmmaking itch or an acting itch, the ideas. I would have kind of done the, if I had my time again, I would have done like the third door for filmmakers, but like a, a documentary. So I would have tried to build a film career by making a film about how do you make a film career. 
because you know there's an audience for that. Definitely. So that's, that's, that's like it's a little a bit of without the box answer. thinking. Yes, yes, always, always have to be without the box, Carl. You mm -hmm. know that. We do yeah, not keep I boxes in this house. Anything. Well, I think um, we can get a little less meta with the questioning and go more to the footnotes, which I'm, I'm very interested to talk to both of you about. And I want to start with Scott with espresso um, because I mean, it's just such a sleek product. I want to, I, I want to see you get jazzed up to talk about um, the product and the company. Here we go with the it. promo. Yeah. Y'all raised $400,000 on Kickstarter. If I have that correctly, right? So tell us a little bit. I mean, I don't know the right question to ask, but just, Walk us down the. That's uh, your only uh, job, Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> so the I, I'll, I'll, set, I'll set the context. So it was um, it was my last semester at university. Um, I'd done all my electives. I really only had my final year research project to go, and maybe one or two other subjects. Um, it was just after the the Aussie summer where um, you know, I taught that subject where Joe was the um the client for the nonprofit. We had about um, I think. 12 students that were working on basically creating design projects um, for Nepal, which was really cool. And that was kind of another tease, another layer into kind of, you know, Joe and I like understanding the education space. And I was, I got into the UTS and education space because, you know, I kind of wanted to give um, like effective feedback to, um, to the university. Um, so I was kind of pretty involved in that stuff, but I was always, looking for like new opportunities, anything that was exciting or interesting. I wanted to make the most, um, out of the course. And, uh, one of these courses that just kind of popped up was, um, it's like the Sydney school of entrepreneurship. It was just next door to, um, to UTS. And it was kind of like seven universities within the state of New South Wales, um, you know, kind of all co-funded this, this one course to promote like, you know, innovation, um, and innovate, uh, entrepreneurial education. And I thought it looked awesome. Um, I actually applied this the semester before and I got rejected. Um, but I had more friends like that. We all kind of said, okay, cool. Let's apply again. Um, and so we applied for it and got in and there's a bit of a backstory in, um, the person who introduced me to now my co-founder. Um, so I never got an email acceptance and I thought I got rejected again. Turns out I put a typo in my email. Um, but then my friend actually got rejected and, um, because I got a phone call from the program coordinator saying, um, Hey, why haven't you accepted? Um, I said, I, I'd never got an email and figured out the typo issue. Then I had the program coordinator's number. I gave that phone to my friend who got rejected and said, talk your way in, like call up. And then that worked. And then he, and he ultimately, um, before anything introduced me to, to Will and, um, and what happened there was kind of, um, you had to work on a, on a project mapping out an industry in Australia, um, kind of like an ecosystem map, kind of talking about, you know, what are the accelerators, the incubators, the industry partners, the grants, the universities kind of like set the, set the scene, um, for an, in, uh, for an industry. And I remember a very pivotal moment when you had to kind of like choose your group cause they chose, um, just like, I think 10 or 12 sample industries. And I had one of my other friends that, that Joe knows, um, and he went across to social enterprise and he, he worked with, um, he was somewhat involved in, in Nepal related projects too. And he kind of waved me along saying, Scott, come here. And I was, um, but I guess the whole point of why I wanted to do something like that is to do something like very different, very unknown. Um, and, uh, Will, 
uh, he had just done, um, uh, he just did uh, during one of those summer subjects on, um, on, on the space industry and, and the space ecosystem in Australia. He was interning at a satellite startup um, and he's like, yeah, space for sure. And I was like, cool, I know absolutely nothing about that. And so um, went, and, went and did that, um, learning about you know, the new Australian space agency and a couple of the startups in the space. And it was when we were working on that post of that project when him and I were trying to do like, you know, engineers. So, so I studied civil engineering, he studied mechanical engineering. Um, engineers are not good at like Adobe suite and design software and things like that. Thank God for like, you know, tools like Canva because um, we're not very, very good at that. And we're trying to kind of collate all of this information in into that. And I think it was just like a spark moment, him or I kind of like, you know, I need a second screen. Like it's, this is, why does this not exist? Like it's, you know, you work off a laptop, why can't you have two or three? And um, we stopped doing the project and that's when we started, um, you know, started kind of, looking at what's out there there was like a pop-up projector type thing that was nice and clunky and and there really wasn't anything out there and it was a fun fun little riff um and then like the next day i got a photo and i was um of like a, a attachment that sits onto the bracket of your laptop and then like an l l frame there and a tablet was slid into place and i was like oh cool did you find that on google and he's like no i made it i'm like so he went home designed something 3d printed it glued it onto his laptop and then sent me that photo and i'm like whoa, like that's, and that kind of just started that momentum there. Um, initially starting off with like a laptop sliding apparatus, but then ultimately found, you know, it can break your laptop and there's all these various you know, challenges with that. Um, and that we kind of found that like the actual, just a second screen that's versatile, you can change it, you can use it with other devices um, and everything else. So, but that starting point, I like telling that story because it like, it was really at like, square zero like we there was we didn't know about supply chain we went to china a couple of times just to kind of like check it out like a kind of like a holiday that was like interesting um we had to learn you know it was scary our first purchases on on alibaba when when we did that um and we kind of just over time really just learnt what do we need to do here what's important and then we had the very kind of clear goal of okay let's just take this to kickstarter and see if anyone else wants this um and then the night before that which was about it like a year after a year and a half after that you know that first um aha moment um you know we couldn't even speak to each other the night just being like i guess this is it this is let's 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 see if it works and then um yeah and we got about uh i think it was about fifty thousand dollars in the first day you know a hundred thousand dollars after three days and then um finished at about four hundred and thirty thousand thousand dollars um which was over a thousand uh thousand customers which is um yeah exciting and that's just been the um been the story been the story since so do you you have an international presence for espresso is it something that's mostly in australia like what our, head, business our headquarters today, is in roughly our headquarters is in Sydney, Australia, but we, we have, um, we have a live e-commerce operation in the U S Canada, UK, Europe, um, and Australia, U S U S accounts is about 50 to 60% of, wow. of our customer base. That's amazing. I want to ask about the back piece, like not just the monitor, but the, uh, yeah, that thing. Well, what was the design inspiration behind that? I love that I love the way that looks. I love the way it attaches. Can you talk a little bit about, about it? You want to describe what you just saw for, you know, half of our downloads are audio only. It's it magnetic. Looks, it attaches to the yeah. back, creates a, like a stand. Attached to the back, you can change the the orientation of the monitor so that you can attach it vertically. Uh, it's basically like a big magnet. Um, 
trying to think of something that it's like a like a trackpad, but a magnet that sticks to the back of a monitor, and then it can stand anywhere. So, um, really funny. It's it's the the short answer is. Um, Will, Will got really frustrated and designed the first version of it in about three hours. Um, but the frustration that led to that was, um, so it's pretty common with like, you know, we're looking at a bunch of like tablet, tablet cases. Um, I've got, I've got one here. This is like the one that, the one that we sell and, and like they're, they're great. Um, like the, for that, it, for the case of, you know, having it as a, a protective case that you can stand around adjust to different angles. Like they're really great. But, um, I guess what, what we're trying to like, what we're really diving into wasn't just like um, portable monitor, but it's actually the whole, um, our, our, our previous slogan was like your workspace anywhere, kind of being like how do you actually design where you're working from? Why would you have a second or third screen that you can fit into your backpack? It's like, oh, because you want to make, you know, your, you want to make your office or wherever you're doing what you're doing kind of like in, in less than a minute, just like so easily. And, and like, how do you actually want to have a really good setup, not just one that will do like, or, or pass by, like, how do you make the best, best setup that you want? And, um, and we, we wanted it to kind of be more like, you know, one of the things with your laptops, you kind of hunched over a little bit. Um, and so how do we kind of like make it, um, very adjustable, very firm, very sturdy that you can kind of angle and tilt to what you'd like. And also the other benefit that you have with a, um, portable monitor versus like say a desktop monitor or even a laptop is that you can make it from landscape to, to portrait and um, to make full use of that the these these stands don't really do that because it's it is designed the hinge kind of comes back that way not it's not really as sturdy in, in the in the portrait um, orientation um, so we, we thought that was kind of a bit bit out of scope to begin with and we kind of found um, uh, like other suppliers who who um, who have like basically a base, a hinge, and then like a magnet on the top. Um, I even in one of the trips to China even went and visited them, and it was funny that um, a lot of the a lot of the suppliers like they really want your business. They're they're happy to host you. It's a big um, big meeting, and you go for lunch and everything like that. And, but this one supplier just was not interested, and it was so it was so weird. Um, and we eventually like kind of went to went to their office, and we bought. 20 or 30 of those stands. Um, and I sent them from, it was just two hours south of Shanghai, I sent them across to Shenzhen. Um, and when I was doing the um, like assembly process for the first 30, 30 units that um, we took to Kickstarter, um, like prototypes and samples, um, the magnetic poles on, it had like five magnets and there was no consistency of north and south. And we we're just like, we can't make a product that like, cause obviously you have to do the corresponding one in the display to make it like magnetically stick. And so, so that was like the situation. Then we're like, what are we going to do? And then we'll, we'll just went in, into the zone and, and, and made that, but it was really around the context of, okay, so one, it's that versatility. But then the second thing is we actually tried to outsource it and outsourcing it didn't work. So then we, um, you know, gave us that great challenge to, um, to do it ourselves. And once we did the first version of it, then it's kind of been adjusted a few times. And we've also created that, um, the, uh, VESA disc that does connect to, you know, any wall mount, um, or any VESA related mount too. So you can just kind of, the goal is to like, when you get there, stand up, you snap it on and that's it. That's just the standard format for monitor mounting, right? VESA. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. I mean, lots more that we, I could ask you for sure, but, uh, <laughs> Lewis, you wanna you wanna ask Joe a question about um, all the things he does, all his footnotes. We got the round robin. So I have a more 
philosophical question still that's going to be made practical. One of Joe's aphorisms that he taught me a couple months back that's really has a good sticking point is the, the phrase, I only do what only I can do. So I want to hear how, Scott, you apply that within Espresso, and then, Joe, what, what your personal living of that is after. So for me with Espresso, yeah. Um, in, my, in my way, it's very much around two things. I'm very much always thinking about and designing my environment and my lifestyle. I think that's kind of um, one of the most kind of seminal things that I'm always very conscious of. And um, it's like even even just recently, I've I've been thinking about how do I improve my wake up experience. So, so I've bought these like automatic curtain attachments. I've bought a, a sunrise lamp that like the yeah. alarm. Most of us love on the podcast. Oh, awesome, awesome. Um, yeah. So um, so like those types of things, I'm I'm just always doing looking at some aspect of my life and kind of trying to improve that and, um, and, or just make it more enjoyable or, or think about that. And when it relates to, um, I guess, espresso is kind of like, what are the tools that you use to do your work? Um, and that's, that's how I'm kind of like constantly thinking about, okay, where do I want to be? What do I want to do? Like, I, you know, I similarly to Joe love going down to a local coffee shop and just working there for a couple of hours. Um, love, I love the vibrancy, but I love that I can also kind of shut that out and just do, do what I'm doing. So really, um, what a lot of what my role is right now with espresso is, is two things. So on, on the business side, it's, it's growth and customer experience on the outward side. What does that mean? It's one customer experience. Like how do I help enable people to design their own workspace and how they do it? So that's the one, how do we, how do I help other people do that? And the second thing, which is like, you know, growth, um, and everything related to that is how do we share that in a way that's aligned with the vision of the company, aligned with the brand, consistent with the product offerings that we have, um, and, and who are the types of people and what are the types of markets and categories and personas who um, really would get value out of, you know, this different experience. So um, everything from, you know, we have... Uh, we have musicians, we have photographers, we have, you know, videographers and designers, we have analysts, we have, you know, startup founders. Um, there, there's a really great, um, like a broad spectrum of, of the types of people who use a product like ours because it is mass market consumer electronics, but it's more the behavioral side of, well, where do they want to be? What's important to them? Um, and how do we help them get this added versatility and flexibility around kind of what they do with the products? So, um, that's how I, that's the lens to which I, I see the world. And, and that's kind of how it's embodied through, through our products and also the experience attached to our products. I love that. Joe, what about you? Yeah. I only do, I only, I could do is, uh, I read it in a book by a guy called Jack Deloso. He's an Aussie entrepreneur, but he was kind of talking about delegating. And I think that's when I just thought, oh, this is not about delegating. This is about like, how you like delegating within business like oh, I'm not gonna whatever um, you know do these calls that's I'll hire receptionist it's more like what do you delegate in life and what do you pick and what do you pick off the shelf to kind of sink your teeth into and work on I think it's been seared into me because of my again you the biggest teacher is always our experience um, after doing the nonprofit thing, my main project was real estate. And, uh, so when I say real estate, I mean like, a, I think in the, in the States called brokers, like the guys that open up open homes and stuff like that. Um, and that was not 
that was not an overly successful venture at all. Um, at all, at all. So, whilst I still operate that business, I realised that that wasn't really like a core interest for me. Right, and I always, always like friends were always surprised. Like I never thought you'd end up in real estate. Like this doesn't seem like you. And um, it was a very important learning curve because to come back to one of our famous frameworks, right, the, the whole investing framework, it's like you've only got finite time, right? At at this point in time, anyway, you've only got finite time to invest. You've only got one life, and you know, Lewis, the other I know. I've heard you talk about this on the podcast again, but my other, one of my other favorite guides is that five-year question. You know, if I only had five years to live, not five minutes, not five days, not five weeks, but five years, how would I live differently? I found it to be one of the most important questions in life. For me, these two questions go together, hand in hand, um, because. can only do so much, so why would I do something that someone else can offer the world? doesn't make sense from a commercial perspective, like if I'm just going to sell more screens that Scott's selling, or if I'm going to set up a rival business, I like this screen thing, I'm going to try and undercut him. Um, or maybe I'm the only one who can, I don't know, make him cheaper, I don't know, but you know, there's, no, there's so much copycatting that happens, and that I think comes from short-term thinkers. If you truly think long term, you realize each person has a unique set of kind of gifts and experiences. So for me, to come back to what that looks like, I realized like it kind of, again, you got to listen, the listening inside, the internal listening, so is everything for me because you really got to interpret that. And I've interpreted that in terms of almost that icky guy kind of concept, which is like, what, what, what do I love? What does the world need? What can I get paid to do, etc.? And I just realized that since our nonprofit journey, because that's when Scott and I became really interested in education, or super interested in education, Scott had been doing things before, I realized that that was one of the big um, important arcs for me. Um, I realized that was super important because it had been nagging at me through the real estate business journey. It had been nagging at me. like. I would come to a point where like, you know, I had to double down on it and I was like, I don't even really want, it's almost like I didn't even want to succeed. It's like success is almost the worst case scenario because it would take me further and further away from the things that feel purposeful. So it was, it was a very bad investment of my time in retrospect, but you know, like there's only so many people who can probably write the way I will write or write about the things I will write about, for example. And so, who else is going to do it? If not me, there's, you know, for certain things, it's not that there won't be other books, it's not that there won't be other blogs or whatever. But if not me, who's going to do it? And then, the impact of what that has on other people, on other people's lives. Um, for example, hopefully that the work we're doing now really helps a lot of people, right? And so, for me to make stupid decisions around, I only do what only I can do, does not, is not limited to me. I'm actually writing right now, I don't know if I'll publish it, but I'm writing like a failure report, I call it, about like some of my last couple of years in, in like the real estate business. And when I was just playing around with this idea, at the end I wrote like an apology. 
or an apology because like if I had done more of the work that I thought mattered earlier there'd probably be people's lives who'd be different will you say that again I said if I had been doing the work I was meant to be doing earlier so say like three years ago or whatever then there are probably other people's lives would have been impacted positively but Joe <laughs> what about your conversation with your 18 year old self absolutely I'm talking I mean, like very hypothetically here your 30 year old self is going to be saying the same thing to you you know you had to fail in that real estate business my 30 yeah my 30 year old self will say the same and I, I don't again I have that the same the philosophy is the same but the lesson the mm -hmm. lesson has now been embedded the lesson has really been embedded, right? Um, so what I, what I mean by that is I will never make that mistake again. I'm glad I made it early. almost wish I would have made it even earlier. And in a way, I kind of did at university. But the universe was like, oh, you don't get the, you don't get the message? <laughs> Here you go. They keep, they keep showing and it to you until you, until you eventually get it. They'll be, yeah, Liam has a quote he heard somewhere, which is like, first it's a whisper, then it's a knock or whatever, and then it's, then it's beating you over the head. Mm. And it's so funny how true that is. It's so funny how we're more interpreters than creators, you know, like, we had a, almost a like, you know, yeah. The, the podcast guest that you and I were discussing the other day, Akash Pradesi, talked about how, you know, his view of the brain as an antenna rather than a computer. And I think there's some truth to that, uh, regardless of whether or not you agree with the science. And uh, Liam is the community manager for Constant Student for the, the people who are listening and do not know who Liam is. Great guy from and For the people that don't know what him. Constant Student is. Yeah, that's the next step, in, I guess. Yeah. Right. We've put a lot of suspense about you two, passionate about education, making a big there's impact. a lot of passion about education that's, that's circling <laughs> in this room right now. <laughs> Well, Jerry, I'll start off t talking about the context of what of, of our you know, our opinion on education is. So, um, to contrast Joe's story at university, um, I I probably had the best undergraduate university experience that was out there. Like I was involved in many things. I um, yeah yeah sorry Joe. Um, so I, I, always, I, always I he had to do it. More friends from Scott's degree than mine. I, heard, I think yeah, I heard so, you say that on, on Byron's podcast. It's a good line. I like it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, and, and I think the, like, so I studied uh, a Bachelor of Civil Engineering um, and the, the course is usually a four-year course at, at University of Technology Sydney where I went. It's five years because in the second and fourth year, they say, hey, get out of university and just work full-time in the industry. And obviously, engineering is very practical. Um, so that was really great. So I kind of sailed into first year, understood what university was. I actually wanted to do a gap year, but I did this course because I knew I could do like a second year gap year and understood subjects, made friends, had a great first year. And then from that, I went into like, I went into six month internship, um, basically a week after first year exams. And that was six months of just working full time. And then as soon as my minimum number of hours were up, I think it was the Friday, the Saturday, I was on a flight to Europe and I traveled to Europe for three months. Um, and then, continuously like I was I was at uni 
I was working part-time in this professional engineering job, getting like, you know, I guess learning more, understanding the industry more, surrounded by people who were in the career and profession of, um, of my degree. Um, I was doing overseas trips to, you know, uh, Indonesia, Cambodia, then eventually in Nepal, I went on exchange. So I, I really made the most of, of the university course, right? So I come from that, that point of kind of like, it's really great that there's so much that you can do in university. It's a great facility. It's a great um, environment, right? But all the things that I got the most out of it, it was not the marks. It was not the, the syllabus stop points. It was certainly not the group assignments. And so like, so what is it? It's the environment of all these people coming together, doing things. It's the, it's the time in your life where you can dedicate towards learning. You can dedicate towards trial and error. You can dedicate towards, you know, going on those types of trips. Um, and, and all those things are kind of like blanketed within the university or tertiary education kind of, kind of banner, but the core product or the core, you know, the th main thing that they deliver is this degree and is this, um, you know, series of coursework that, um, may or may not be useful for different people and may or may not be useful depending on the career path that you're on. Um, but it's the people that really matter and it's the experiences that you create with the people. Um, and that that's the type of, um, that's the type of context that was like, wow, this is really valuable. So Joe and I learned so much from this nonprofit project that was not part of university. There was no certification. There was no course. There was no anything like that. Um, and, and, and st like we got, just got way more out of that through that experience. Right. And so it's kind of like, think of the reverse university group assignment where it's, you know, people, people really like, like the project's really interesting that people Everyone just want to wants work to on there. the project. It's yeah. It's, it's not like I just want to get a good mark and then get it done with like, so the project itself is really interesting. I.e., the book, Hey, do you want to become an author of a book? You know? eight of us are going to come together. We're going to write a book in a month. Do you want to be an author? That's pretty exciting. I've never got, I'd never got that excited for, for a university group assignment. Then all the people who do it, right. They're not forced to do it because it's a stepping stone to pass the subject, to get the degree. It's actually like they're opting into it for whatever reason that they're just interested in that project. Um, and then at the same time, you can kind of like, you learn so much more beyond the scope with those people by going through that learning journey with them. So it's kind of like, that's, that's the tangible about from the project side of things, but then also it's about creating the very, um, you know, great, the great environment, the vibrancy of trial and error, discovering new things. Um, like the reason I think I got so much out of my university course is cause my preset, uh, opinion was, I don't know if I want to do civil engineering that was going through my mind all the time. And, and now I'm not a civil engineer. So that kind of it always encouraged me to kind of say, well, uh, this is the path that I'm on so far, but I don't know. I don't know if this is right for me, but I want to try a whole bunch of different things. And we've got, um, I don't know if you've seen Joey's written up the concept of the bucket, which is this constant iteration of like new things that kind of come into your life, like be open to them and, um, you know, kind of bring them into your life in various ways. And then over time, you know, the bucket is, you know, emptying things from the bucket that aren't the best kind of things in your life right now. And it's that constant iteration process rather than, rather than kind of like, um, you know, changing everything in your life at once. And I think that, I guess the concept around that time in your life, which is dedicated towards learning, dedicated towards a new experience, 
And I think that's the overarching kind of um, theme that we think the best educational experiences occur. And contextually within technology and society um, and everything that's digital and online now, there's even more and more opportunity that, that you know, is largely undervalued right now, that you can learn very important skills very quickly. You can apply them much easily. And the industry out there, there's a lot of companies um, that would happily attract people who uh, are competent and can do what they need them to do rather than people who have um, degrees and stuff, right? So as far as that, that's the, that's the setting. But I'll let Joe talk about you know, what, we're actually, what we're actually doing. Well, I'd actually like to almost flip it in a way. This would be a really good opportunity because Lewis and Carl, you've generously helped us trial it. How would, how would you describe it based on your experience? Without putting you on the spot, it'd be good to understand how it's interpreted almost. Well, I think first things first, things first you did a good job of naming it uh, to encapsulate the message. The, the name Constant Student, right? It's you're not doing this for a degree. You're not in school. There's no certifications or grades. It's purely to continue learning throughout your life and with a very direct A to B reason for learning the things that you're learning. You're not learning them because they might be useful. You're only learning them because here's a clear reason you're in this room, you're working on this project because we already know why this will be useful to you to acquire the skill. So it's, it's very practical, uh, but not in like a, you know, we interviewed this guy. I'm not sure if you are familiar with him uh, named Scott Young, who's a blogger about learning and he wrote the book ultra learning. And Scott has this blog post that's called the value of learning useless things, which is kind of like in defense of acquiring general knowledge. Uh, and I think you all have an appreciation for that as well, but at least in like the iteration that we've been in, uh, the point has been like, let's make up for not for the curriculum in school not being super applicable to what you need to do to get ahead and get ahead. It does not just mean economic. It also means like relationships and personal organization and happiness and like life satisfaction, like other important skills that translate to like getting ahead as far as like thriving in life in a multifaceted way. And then again, you do, as Scott said, uh, bring in the right group of people. The, I, what most impressed me from being a part of it is like, and maybe just, you know, gave us the, the runaround with the first group of people, but you really did select like the, the best people. Like I was just, it was very discussion based, which is very important that it's like, you know, my zoom discussions at school, everyone had their cameras off and was, I was stretching and doing yoga, got very flexible during zoom college, uh, because I just didn't have to have my camera on and could stretch for an hour a day. But during most of yours, you know, my camera's on paying attention. Everyone is on there paying attention. Then everyone who spoke up had something to say of value. And it's just qualitatively a different experience when everyone who is there wants to be there in pursuit of common goals with common values. I don't know. That's, I enjoyed it. Yeah, for a long time, I've been in search of um, having really good conversations. So I, so the reason if you can believe it, that, uh, right? Uh, I was I had an idea to start an app, basically where it would uh, give you questions to talk about with another person, um, and the idea was to you know have one question be asked and then. Uh, for the rest of it to for you to just get off the app like the app's not important I just want to facilitate really good conversations um, and you know it's manifested obviously in the form of a podcast and further joining the concept student I think um, you know gave a open and honest and um, what's the word uh, um, 
unfiltered or like uncancelable floor for having conversation with other people who also want to be having high level conversations. Um, so like, just like I don't really want, I didn't want people to be on an app. It's like the systems and, and learning about all these things. It's super interesting. Don't get me wrong, Joe, but like the people and being able to be with people who um, are, who want to have conversations a, and who are like really, really smart B, um, I think is invaluable. And, yeah. um, and yeah. And I'll jump in and give one example. You know, I had a zoom class this semester that was discussion based about philosophy and like the meaning of life and the meaning of work. And which is theoretically easy things to discuss in terms of easy to have things to say, cause everyone should be opinionated. Cause that's like life and stuff like major things. And every breakout room we had in that class was just like four people staring at each other, dead space, dead time. And me just being like, so do you have anything to say? And every breakout room on the constant student was like, you know, we were just all on, in my classroom in real academic school. You needed a just moderator like, what, in them. Like. Seeing, no, 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 no. You'd see the clock and be like, okay, finally, 59 seconds to go. I don't have to stare at these people in silence. Oh. But every single constant student breakout room I hit uh, was like running past the buzzer. Like we all got cut off mid-sentence every single time, which is like signal that the people there are there to actually participate in the discussion. Wow. Thank you guys. It's really good to hear it through your, hear it and see it through your eyes. And I think you've touched on exactly what it is. I mean, to, to describe it, I could list a bunch of features, right? And yes, we do a bunch of stuff. Like we do these student driven, I, I've started calling them workshops and basically we use Zoom to do that. Um, you know, we we go through practical things like Notion and all these online tools and, and yada yada, and we do give people feedback on their projects because we found that the feedback loop for learning is so important. Um, so you know, we can we can list features. There's there's a stack of things we'll be introducing and projects we'll be running. You know, it's it's it is uh, geared towards I guess education. I guess geared towards the more growth-minded, entrepreneurial, self-interested person. Um, but I guess it just, the whole constitutive thing, which is just this online learning community to start with, and it's like, well, we can have a very low barrier to entry. And that's the thing, like Scott and I realized that the project in Nepal, whilst we can't recreate that Nepal project for others, those sort of projects that for us, the project stimulated all these amazing conversations in life, which then compound the learning. Right, I mean, constant student, a lot of it's kind of this, this simultaneous. But it's like the barrier to entry to that Nepal experience was high. I go to parties now, which I've, I've started writing about in the, in the book, and I, I go to parties and I look around at my friends and I'm just looking at all the square pegs and the round holes. And I'm looking at, you know, the guy who should be a sports commentator who's working as an auditor, right, for, for a big four. And it's like, even if he didn't do it full time, I wish he was just doing it because everyone knows it's what you're meant to be doing. And the difference is Scott and I did not, I don't know if we deserved it, but we got an amazing discovery experience. It wasn't exclusively because we went to Nepal. We were also really interested in it. We also extracted value out. We really appreciated it. And that's why you guys appreciating conversations like that realizing this conversation just sounds like, well, whatever I can talk to my mom, I can conversations with 
But you have to really appreciate these things. But it's, it's again, this word of discovery. Discovery, like Scott went to Sydney School of Entrepreneurship, not planning to start a business. He went there to learn more about entrepreneurship. He didn't help his friend um, so he could help him meet his co-founder. He was just helping his friend, he was just opening doors for others. Yet, opening doors for others has led him onto one of the most dynamic learning journeys anyone can have their entire life. He's learned about business, he's learned about Kickstarter, startups, e-commerce, manufacturing, and heaps of stuff about himself. So when we did like the orientation, I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was kind of like the first real question was like, why learn? I remember yeah, we talked about a philosophy about education and learning. We want to certify people to do degrees. We want, we've got all these ways we can teach online courses, books, whatever, free online form. Why learn? And for me, it's, it's, a, it's a algebra. It's like we learn so we can go on a particular journey. So if you want to do the bare minimum to get a degree to qualify to do something, but that's, I guess, the journey you want. But have you even picked a good journey? So it's like, first you've got to learn like what to pick. But the point of a good journey, obviously, is at the end of the day, your journey is your life. Right? This is the journey you're on. We've, you guys have been very generous in helping us unpack some of our journeys, the first like interview we've done together. So it's kind of nice to timestamp what we've been thinking and where we were at at this point in time. But, you know, the stories, like, I haven't, it's not like I've, we haven't made millions or anything, you know? <laughs> but we just, but the stories, the stories, you know, and the memories and the insights and the self-awareness and the conversations, like, it's a, it's a journey. It's a journey. And learning should trigger a journey. Right? It should be dynamic. There should be discovery happening all the time. So I guess the concert student is like trying to us trying to lower that barrier to entry to that journey. So people might be if people are listening, they might be thinking, yeah, but does that help me become a, a lawyer? Does it help me become an entrepreneur? Does it well it's it's not again, it's it's kind of what you make of it. It's kinda of like we do, we, we do like what you guys talked about. It's all about the higher order things and the higher order thinking are relevant to your life and they're relevant to your career, no matter who you are. If I can riff on, you know, Einstein, for example, you know, Albert Einstein, you know, one of his, um, I can't remember which one it was, one of his biggest papers he made in 1905, I think it was on special relativity or something, has like zero references to other physicists. <laughs> Zero. He makes one reference at, his end, at the end to a mathematician friend who helped him a bit, and that's it. But he does make references to like, I think, um, a couple of, I think David Hume and a couple of philosophers and stuff. And Einstein's story was that when he was 12 or 13 years old, this student, 23-year-old uh, math and science student used to come by his house and teach him a bit about math and science and all this stuff. And then Einstein quickly overtook him. Mm -hmm. And so... Guy ran out of material. He was 10 years younger than him. He was, knew everything. So he started giving him philosophers. If you think about philosophy, philosophy is the science of sciences, right? It's, it's where we think about thinking. And there's no career path where, I'm not talking about philosophy in terms of the, the, the lofty, like, you know, I think therefore I am, etc. extent. I'm talking about the, 
the ability to kind of be a bit meta and think about what it is I'm doing and what is this industry. And like someone like Einstein, you know, he came up with new discoveries, realized new discoveries because he was able to kind of think independently of what had come before from first principles. So some, some epistemology. Guess, yeah. 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 But I guess, you know, there's a, there is a practical element to what we do at Constant Student, which is still important, right? And Scott will speak to that, which is like, right, at the end of the day, we can have these amazing conversations. At the end of the day, you know, the concept we talk about, the minimum viable lifestyle, like you've got bills to pay, you've got to feed yourself, you know what I mean? You've got, um, you know, you need to fund your lifestyle. And the reality is like the time it can take to monetize with an online skill is, is much shorter. Right, but there's no real institutions like there's online courses and things like that. But there's nothing systematically which helps you kind of discover all these options. All right, so from like, you know, how can I, whatever, become a freelancer and like learn a monetizable skill in a year, in the same place that I can meet other really cool, growth-minded people who then become my network, who then stretch my thinking more, who then help me with this who then become maybe my first clients for this little freelancing thing because they're growth-minded. They'll be looking to do different things and creative things as well. And so it's this whole idea of the community and the ecosystem that I guess is the dream behind Constant Student. I guess the university system is great from a career perspective, in particular for an academic. If you want to talk about something to make it a bit more tangible, like Scott even went part the way up that... Um, that hierarchy, right? Because he was there as a student. Uh, he eventually got a, a role, like what we call here, like a tutor, which is like running the little classes. Mm -hmm. And that was great because it was part-time. So he could still like whatever, do other things, explore other interests. Um, eventually it helped him because he did part-time work while he was setting up espresso. Um, but if you're like interested in being a researcher, you can, you know, have a part-time job at your university, the place where you learn, you transition from learning to being part of staff, but in a lean kind of way, not overcommitted. And you can try these different areas of research. Yeah. Right. You can see what you like. You can partner with a senior researcher because the university has all those people in the ecosystem. And then you leverage their credibility, right? For, for some of the early research that builds your credibility. And then from there you can kind of, so it's all very lovely linear, but like, yeah. well, I'd say we don't have that. Yeah. One thing that I think is part of your mission, and if it's not, whatever. But I think it is. Uh, <laughs> one of the episodes we published that you listened to, I uh, was with Wes Ko, who created an online course that inspired. I might just be Joe, might also be Scott a little bit. I don't know if you took it, Scott, but she created these online courses. And in our interview with her, she kind of framed career decisions in terms of gatekeepers. So you basically through constant student, you're walking people through the process of what she did in our interview, which is what is it that you want to do? And who is the gatekeeper in that field? And what do the gatekeepers care about? So in terms of making an income from online skills, gatekeepers care about demonstration of competency in that skill. So you build it through your portfolio or through relationships and everything else. And what you're walking through now is like the academic world. The gatekeepers are academics who care about academics, but that's like, that science, law, engineering, to some extent, is almost an exhaustive list of the fields that operate that way. And almost everything else is not that way. And is the way I said initially, which is portfolio and demonstration of capability. And constant student provides people with the, if I'm summarizing correctly, 
right? The, the network and you and the, let's call them teachers or coaches or tutors, people like yourselves and facilitators that help people who haven't fully realized the world works that way, find, identify a skill that would be a good match for them, help them through the steps of doing it, meet other people, collaborate on projects and like do the things to be equipped to succeed with the addition of like other educational things as well. But yeah, yeah. I think, um, to add on to that, um, the way, and, and that's why Joey and I thought it was so important to have a very low barrier to entry because it needs to be entirely useful for someone who is studying full-time at college at university, uh, as well as it can be, you know, something that someone wants to commit to, uh, during a gap year when they're just working and they want to be a part of something else and they're not sure which, you know, course or career path to take. But the way I'd categorize both the constant student and university, they're both learning experiences. And I think what you would say within university is, I'd say largely it's a university experience that isn't centered around the students. It's centered around the ecosystems and the students have to like maneuver through the ecosystem to get what they can out of it. You know, so like in my case, I maneuvered through it very well. In Joey's case, he maneuvered through it not so well, right? But it's, it's not this intuitive type. It's not student centric. I think the, the f fundamental part of the constant student is about making it student centric, which on the outside makes it sound a bit ambiguous, but that's the point because we don't, we don't kind of say, okay, you, everyone has to be pointed towards this direction. It's around, we facilitate the environment for the students that we have. And we said, um, you know, we, as, as what you experienced with the pioneers where, um, the, the quality of the group is really important, but when you have the right people in the room and you facilitate what those students want to be learning and what they can make the most out of that learning experience based on their own goals and their own interests and what they want to learn, then I think that's, it's a student centric, you know, learning experience model. Well, I think one small point I can make here is, you know, everyone is this very cliche thing. Cause you ask like an adult from like the previous generation to ours, like, why should I go to college when I can learn everything online? And they're like, well, it's not about what you learn in the classroom. It's about the people you meet. And then the next question is, do I need to pay X tens of thousands of dollars to meet interesting young people? Right. And so a constant students like, no, you can pay whatever y'all decide to set the rate out for the annual fee, which spoiler, it's going to be much less than a college tuition, maybe the price of a couple textbooks at most, uh, to meet the same caliber of people with the pre determined selection bias. Like you're not having to filter through. Cause like from my experience in large state school, for example, and I don't mean to make these numbers sound harsh and I'm going to do my best not to, if I meet like a hundred people, you know, 50 of them might just be there cause they're in state and they're just getting a degree or they love the football or they want the party scene. And so for me, it's like filtering a hundred trying to find the 10 that are like a good match for me in terms of like same shared interests, values, and desires and things like that. Whereas in constant students, like probably going to be like a 60, 70% hit rate. So you achieve, you identified, you unbundled the education system for the aspects you wanted to keep. And you're kind of only paying all the cart for that, those things. And it's very like, it's obviously very early, early days. Now we've just done the, the pilot, um, where with both of you and, um, a number of others, but yeah, we, and with scale, um, with scale, you know, a hundred people or a thousand people in that community, um, it'll be much more easier like, to, uh, you know, streamline, like, or connect, you know, you Lewis with, you know, fight, like people with just this particular interest group or, you know, or, or other interest groups or based on, um, if you want to try and like work on a project together, or if you want to, um, explore 
something like that. So that that's kind of where um, we're having the more people you can kind of divide into very new interests, like narrow interest groups. I guess the other thing that was also um, very interesting with, with this format and this group is that um, where it can go and how it can kind of be expanded. Um, like there's, there's, there's no end right. to that. And that's kind of say, part of, there is no, upper yeah. limit. I mean, and it is to be discovered. Yeah. And that's, and that's the real exciting part. That's how the constant student is also continually learning. Um, and that's, yeah, it's what's really exciting. We're students too. There you go. Well, everybody's like a student that. and everybody listening to this podcast is a student. Um, and we hope that they sign up for, for constant student and we hope that they buy an espresso and, and uh, 18 and lost. They can buy the ebook and read it. You got the ebook on the espresso, you got the, which right, they're also exactly. using as their monitor during while they're in a student. coffee shop, sipping a latte, browsing some real wow, estate, that's my dream. That's hopefully my dream. starting a, a nonprofit <laughs> and helping people. And that's so, you know, I'm sort of going through the wrap up um, piece of this, but yeah, Joe, right. the, the piece that I really like that you talk about is like the, the, um, just when you open a door, you're gone. Like, you know, it, it's not about what you get out of, um, opening these doors and providing value and giving to these people. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about how, like, that is how you actually get things yourself and how like, like you can't, why always ends up coming back yeah. to you? Well, and in, to, in, is that what you're asking? In the same line, I think I know what he means. Okay, he means. perfect. In the same vein, this lesson kept trying to teach itself to me. And it kept beating me on the head until I learned it, right? This whole open doors for others is the best way to open doors. That's the one line I end every episode of my podcast with, the best way to open a thousand doors for you, like the whole journey is to concentrate on opening doors for others. It was crystallized when I was looking to, I was thinking about last year about getting the book I'd been writing about, charity and all this stuff out in the world. And I read a Tim Forrest, Tim Ferriss, Tim Forrest, Tim Ferriss mm -hmm. blog post about book publishing. And he talks about all this, you know, all these people that helped him with the four hour body and all this stuff. And like, how do you get it? And then it's like, how did he get all these people? He's like team members writing. He's like, he earned them. Like he always gave way more to these other whatever podcasters and all these bloggers or authors. He always gave way more value than he ever captured. Right. And then, you know, our Scott and my business journey started in a nonprofit. That's what made us interested in entrepreneurship. Or I can speak for myself, but I know it did accelerate for Scott. So that's like the place we come from. And even like constant student, like the, the idea is like to seriously undercharge. It's not about maximizing the value we get. It's about helping people get in. We just like need to make it sustainable. So when I read that blog post by Tim Ferriss, I was like, damn, like, yeah, I've got to, I want to get things I'm making out in the world. I've got to just add value to others. I've got to open doors for others. And that was, that seeded the whole idea of, that was one of the things that helped seeded the whole idea of the thousand doors. And then last year I concentrated on doing that. And then it was an incredible, what happened, like we met the authors of the book, half of the authors of the book, Aiton and Lost, because I went to do some guys, um, well, this is where it comes back around, Kyle. 
I went to do some guy's like podcast launch. I'd met on like a personal development course virtually like four years before. I'd, I was like, sure, I'll help this guy. I'll come to, to his launch. I met these authors, I met these guys there. He had all these strangers at an Airbnb. He wanted to introduce people. And so they, they helped us write the book. Like they wrote the book. Um, and then at the same time, that guy told me to do an akimbo course because he'd just done it. And that was what you talk about, Wes K.O. kind of started that, right? Or MBA, and then became Akimbo. And then, you know, even through the same guy, I met Byron, Byron Dempsey, who hosts the Driven Young podcast, which is how I met you guys. Right? Because you listened to that, you commented on one of my YouTube videos, and I just saw one day this little... My, I think it was my first episode, it was like Lewis and Cole's show, I was like, I don't know who the hell this is. I go, you know what, stuff it. I'll figure out who they are. You never know. You never know. Never know. Here we are. And here we are. You never know. And to find, I know we're wrapping up, but you know, I always, the challenge I always give everyone on, on uh, constant shooting, I always will, is, is the whole find your Scots. Which is like, and I, you know, I'm sure I could say the same, but when you look at the difference, it's like Scott, to come back to that story about he helps his friend get into the course with no ulterior motive other than to help his friend, and he gets the co-founder of his company. The co-founder of his company. He could not do it without Will. Scott doesn't make the displays. It's not a product person. Right? You, can't, you just cannot, but it's... It's, if everyone's, I just have the vision, if everyone's opening doors for one another, it's not that someone will, it's not if Scott opens the door for me, I'll just open the door for him. It's that if everyone's opening doors, then he'll open a door for someone who opens a door for someone who opens it for me. If that makes sense. It's, it's a Keep opening doors. Idea. It's a network. Never look back. Yeah. Never keep score. Never look back. Keep opening doors. Um, you know, we're really happy to have had you guys. This was a ton of fun. I don't know if Lewis has anything else to say. Um, but if our listeners enjoyed and want to buy an espresso, drink an espresso, join constant student, read your Be blog, listen student. to your podcast, where should we send them? So sure for espresso <laughs> is, uh, our website is ESPRES.SO. Genius. Um, uh, yeah, there's, uh, there's almost too many links. The constant student <laughs> is www.constantstudent.com.au. Uh, That's not bad. And, That's a good uh, domain. Yeah, it's a good domain. We'll get the .com. Don't worry. Um, 18 and lost will be on Amazon. There is a website, but it'll be, it'll, that'll be available. When's the launch date? On Amazon. Uh, it'll be Cause it's soon. to be determined within the next okay. two months. Yeah, Max. Okay. I think y'all are just debating covers, right? And like final, final stuff. Yeah. It's just touch ups. It's just touch ups. Um, and then everything else, my website normally has a link to everything. Which is we'll link to everything in the description for sure. Yeah. Uh, all these, all these links will be down below. Most importantly, more than our products or those things and they sound useful, great. But most importantly, it is that idea of rather than looking more into us or whatever, opening those doors for other people. That's that's the takeaway, more than the price. Absolutely. For sure. Absolutely. The doorman well, and thank plural. you guys very much for coming on our podcast. Lewis and I 
hope to to be like you guys in a few years when we get big and grown up. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. I hope, I hope you're just more like you instead because you guys are incredibly, yeah, incredibly like um, you just give us so much energy and faith that people like you are out there, to be honest. It's, uh, return the compliment tw- twofold, to be honest. Thank, Thank you, Joe. Thanks, guys. And that wraps up our interview with Joe and Scott. Super fun. Really enjoy talking with those guys. I've got three takeaways, the first of which is about failure. Um, Joe and Scott started a nonprofit in college trying to help people, trying to help the, uh, the victims of the, of the Nepal earthquake. And while it did fail, the pathways that it opened up for their lives um, are incredible. And you know, retracing and looking back, they can see how much that experience affected them. And if they had, you know, gone after the the safe job, uh, just tried to do exactly what they needed to do to to um, build their resume, that never would have happened, and they wouldn't have they wouldn't be the people that they are today. Um, the second thing is you never know. Keep opening doors. Um, you know, there's an example that gets thrown around a lot in this interview where um, Scott basically got into this entrepreneurship accelerator and he helped others along in getting into it. Um, and through that, he found his, his co-founder. And so if he, hadn't have, as, if he hadn't have helped people in the way that he did, he wouldn't, have, he wouldn't be where he's at. And the point is that um, you, know, you shouldn't keep score and you shouldn't try and figure out and, and get exactly what you can out of every situation. Sometimes it's better to just do something nice and move on. Um, it really, it's always better to do that and it'll always come back around. The third thing is that is about life lessons and how, when life wants to tell you something, when you've got uh, a feeling in your gut and you ignore it, um, it'll come back even stronger the next time and even stronger the time after that. And so it's best practice, I think to, listen to your gut and take action, um, in the moment or as soon as you can. Um, because if you let it pass you by enough, it'll, it'll beat you to the ground, uh, to where you have no choice, but to, to act on it. And those are my takeaways. Thank you, Kyle. I have three takeaways as well. First one, an Eastern experience. I thought it was very interesting how they shared how entrepreneurs like Steve Jobs and Phil Knight from Nike and themselves, how having an Eastern experience just helps shatter your assumptions of what you've been taught and how the world truly works. And that makes you approach entrepreneurship with a more creative and more unbiased uh, point of view, which has helped a lot of entrepreneurs succeed. So get out there and, and do something Eastern, I guess. Second takeaway is how humble they are about being wrong. And that's also tends to be a common pattern of successful entrepreneurs is a willingness to admit when they've been incorrect. They phrase it really well. If I was wrong about this, what else could I be wrong about? And I think that's something we should all consider. I think in the past, what things you thought you were so right about only to prove you were wrong. For me, I thought ETH was going to go from four to five in like another two weeks. And it went from four back to two. So that was unfortunate. And what else could I be wrong about, right? Probably a lot of my other financial predictions, seeing how wrong that one was. Third one is the idea of six out of 10 life. So that's kind of a good way to contextualize comfortable mediocrity. Nothing's wrong necessarily, but you know, we have a short amount of time on this planet and is six out of 10 in all areas good, or should you really get inspired and try to do something crazy to 
make your life a little bit more exciting. Uh, hopefully this podcast makes your life more exciting, encourages you to think of exciting ways to spend your time, exciting projects to contribute to and other ways to do better uh, and have more fun. That's all I have to say to you this week. As I've been saying in the past couple episodes, the way that this show improves the fastest is by you being involved. That means sending us people you'd like to hear on the show. That means sending us a DM, what you listened to in this episode, what you learned, why you liked it, why you didn't like it, anything like that. We right now, are at the amount of volume where we can handle a phone call. If you'd love to hop on the phone and tell us which episodes you listen to, what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right, and what you'd like to see more of, please just send us a DM on any social media platform. Send us an email at Show at gmail.com or any other way of getting in touch with us. Otherwise, if you can't wait till next week, we got a ton of episodes. I don't think you've listened to all of them yet, so scroll down the feed to find another one that speaks to you, and we'll be in touch soon. See you later. Bye-bye.